Good morning, fellowship. I'm gonna invite you to stand in Christ Jesus. We are awake and alive, amen? So let's sing and let's celebrate and worship Jesus for the freedom that we have in him. Come on.
may have a seat. Good morning. So glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. And if you are new, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Click the QR code behind me on the screen for all the great things that are going on here at Fellowship. We'd love to get you plugged into a small group. Also, if you're new, please see us at the information booth afterwards. And can I say this in church, but go hogs. Can I say that? But hey, more importantly, April 9th is Easter. So sunrise service at 7 a.m. in the West Field, and then family service at the 9, 10, 11 in the West Field, and then adult services are in here. So please join us on Easter for that awesome celebration. Fellowship men, we have a great spring plan for you. April 14th, we have a men's uh, four-man scramble at Stonebridge uh, Meadows Golf Club in Fayetteville that's going to be sponsoring Samaritan Church Springdale. So please join us for that. It's going to be a great time. Breakfast at 9 a.m., and then we'll tee off right after that. Men's retreat, May 5th and 6th at Ponca Bible Camp out on the Buffalo River. It's going to be awesome. We've got Dave Strong going to be coming as our own personal chef. So that guy can cook. It's going to be awesome. He's going to be serving prime rib on Friday night. So women of fellowship, if your man doesn't like fishing, canoeing, golf, or eating prime rib, there's nothing more I can do for him. I've, I'm out of tricks. So sign your man up for this. It's going to be awesome. Also, a special welcome for you that are here on, we call it kind of staycation spring break. So some of us are just staying here. So my wife and I, we got a little more excited than we should have on our Thanksgiving trip. And then there's something after Thanksgiving called Christmas. Got a little too excited at Christmas. So we're part of that reason we're staying here. So welcome to staycation. So speaking of spring break, fellowship, we are sending out 400 of our students and leaders to six different cities and Costa Rica to serve. So would you join us this morning as we pray for some of our students, for their walks with God, also for the students and the people that they will be impacting on these trips. Pray for their safety. So join us this morning as we pray for our students. God, we thank you so much for these seven different trips that they're going on, Lord. And some of them are in the bus right now, God. Just, just be with them and and uh, get them there safely, Lord. And we just pray for an awesome touch of your Holy Spirit on these trips. God, we pray for life change for the leaders and as they minister to our kids, Lord, bring them back safely. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand and continue to sing with us. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Thrown into a sea with no bottom. 
constantly wrong Which father so tender Still calling us home He welcomes the weakest The vilest, the poor Our sins they are many His mercy is more Praise the Lord His mercy is more Stronger than darkness And new every morning Our sins they are many His mercy Praise the Father, praise 
of giving, uh, we're going to bring a, a new song uh, for you today. It's called The Finished Work of Christ. And um, actually, I was having a conversation backstage a while ago just about that phrase. And um, I'm 43 years old. And for the better part of my life, I would say up until five, six years ago, it's just a phrase that I I knew the phrase, but I didn't understand the, the magnitude of, of the finished work of Christ. There's so much that God for us has finished and completed and, and, and made certain in and through Jesus. And so uh, for, for the better part of my, my life, my life in Christ, I carried a lot of weight, um, a yoke, um, a misunderstanding of how the Lord was dealing with me day in and day out. Um, there was a lot of old stuff that I had brought into this new thing. And uh, the finished work of, of Christ and that whole thing is just a, I, I would challenge you to dive into to it if you never, never have, and maybe you have, and maybe I'm kind of late to the party on this whole thing, but um, the, it's brought just a, just a greater understanding on my part. It's brought so much freedom. To, to me and my life in Christ. And uh, man, my, my, it's, it's just a joy to get to enjoy the journey um, of life in Christ. And so uh, there was a time when I was carrying around, when, 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 when things were, 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 were heavy and burdensome, but that's, that wasn't Jesus's pitch. See, he pitched something uh, new, something easy and light. And so this new covenant, this new way of being made right is so beautiful. And this song talks about how I trade old for the new. I trade lies for the truth. I throw off these old chains and hold fast unto you.
I'd trade old for the new I'd trade lies for the truth And i throw off these old chains And hold fast unto you I cling to the cross Where my Savior bled Grace found a way to bring death to an end a beautiful ransom When love paid my debt So I'll sing your praise All of my days Your blood flowing down Like oceans of grace My sins swept away I'm brought back to life Here in the finished work of Christ came out of the grave You came burst into life You shattered the darkness With your glorious light In this battle for us You ran to the fight With mercy and grace Your arms open wide The dawn of a
we be thankful together for the finished work of Christ? Can we just give a hand clap of praise and say thank you? Father, we thank you for the finished word. We thank you that we can find rest in Christ. We thank you that we can find rest in the finished work of Christ. A new covenant with new and better promises, a new and better way of being made right, a new and better way of communing with our Father, made possible by our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus. So we thank you for it all. We ask that you continue to teach us what it all means. And we'll just say wow and thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Mr. Heath. Hey, y'all pray for Heath. He just discovered that Northwest Arkansas has this thing called pollen. He's had a rough week. Down in Louisiana, they just deal with crawdads. Our stuff's invisible and attacks you. Hey, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Daniel. Today, we'll be anchored in Daniel chapter 9. We're in the final two weeks of our winter study on this Old Testament book of prophecy. We've spent six weeks studying Daniel thus far, and I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's been a rich study for you. I hope that you have um, had the Lord work in your heart. I hope you've discovered some deep truths of the faith. I want you to remember that Daniel is both a collection of stories and visions. There are six chapters of narrative in Daniel. We call those the court tales. It's Daniel and his friends dealing with kings. And then there's six chapters of prophecy. I try to think of Daniel in three different ways. First, it's a book of history. It tells us courageous stories of how Daniel and his friends stood up to and interacted with kings and kingdoms of the past. Secondly, it's a book of prophecy. It foretells events in the future on earth and in heaven. And then third, it is a book of theology. And it tells us about the nature and the character of God. Don't forget, Daniel is the primary human character in the story, but God is the hero of the book. Amen? He's the focus of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is setting up Yahweh, the God of Israel, the creator God, against all other kings and kingdoms. He's the focus of the book. Think about what Daniel has, learned, has taught us about the Lord as we've studied this book. Chapter 1, we learned that God rewarded. God rewarded Daniel's resolve to be obedient to his Levitical and Mosaic law. Remember, Daniel refused to eat the diet of the Babylonian kings. In chapters 2 and chapters 7 to 12, God revealed. He unveiled visions of the future to and through Daniel. Some of those visions came true in Daniel's day. Some of them came true in the future of Daniel's day. And some are still yet to come. We'll talk about that next week. In chapters 3 and chapter Six, God rescued. Remember, he rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, and he rescued Daniel himself from the lion's den. And then lastly, God ruled in chapters four and five, right in the middle of the chiastic structure. He humbled the mighty Babylonian kings. Remember, he turned King Nebuchadnezzar into a wild beast, and he delivered a message to King Belshazzar through the writing on the wall and removed him from office. God is the hero 
of the story. He's the primary player enacting his will through his sovereign rule. So let's get to our passage for today. Look with me at Daniel chapter 9. Today we're going to handle the first part of this chapter, which contains one of the most powerful prayers of confession in the whole Bible. We're going to see Daniel go before the Lord and confess the sin of his people. And by the way, just a preview, that's how we'll end our service today. I'm just going to ask everyone in the room to humble yourself before God and confess your sin. And then confess the sin of our nation. And then ask God's blessing on our world. Not only did he confess the sin of his people, but he also made a big request of God. Let's, let's pick up the study. Chapter 9, look at verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel was reading the scriptures. He was having his quiet time, his time of devotion, and he had a major revelation. He became convinced that change was coming for his people. He realized that soon their time of exile in Babylon would end. So he went before the Lord in prayer and petition and repentance. I want to make just a simple observation right out of the gate on this passage. You know, at this point in his life, Daniel's in his 80s. He survived the conquering of his own nation, the kingdom of Judah, and the destruction of his city, the city of Jerusalem. He's lived in exile as a foreigner in a foreign land and been tested for close to 70 years. And he remained faithful to God. He consistently pursued and obeyed the Lord despite his suffering. He remained faithful. And, and look at the evidence in his life. Even in his old age, even after years of suffering, he was still pursuing some basic spiritual disciplines or habits. Prayer, scripture reading, fasting. And, and when it refers to being in sackcloth and ashes, Daniel was taking a posture of repentance, to wear sackcloth, to adorn yourself with ashes, was to outwardly display an inward reality of repentance or mourning. Daniel was practicing a mourning over his sin. We call that confession. So we have a life lesson right up front in our passage. When it comes to living faithfully over the long haul, when it comes to growing spiritually or pursuing holiness with longevity, the spiritual disciplines are essential. Bible reading, prayer, fasting, confession, among others, are non-negotiable, essential spiritual practices. A few things that you'll hear us say around here at Fellowship often. First, you never graduate from the spiritual disciplines. My mentor, Dr. Robert Cup. Um, has poured into me for years. And I remember going to him in my 40s and I said, Robert, what's the key to finishing well? 
how do you stay a godly person for the long, hard, long, long haul? And he said, Sam, you never graduate from daily Bible reading and prayer. And I remember thinking, it can't be that simple. You are Yoda. You are Gandalf. You are Dumbledore. Whoever you watch. Robert, what's the key? I just read my Bible and pray every day. We never graduate from the spiritual disciplines. Another thing we say around here a lot is being comes before doing. That your Christian life flows from the inside out. Prayer, Bible study, fasting, confession. Abiding in Christ is our primary work. You know, the book of Daniel presents Daniel and his friends as models of faithfulness to God. Even in the midst of harsh realities of living as exiles in a foreign land surrounded by a godless culture, Daniel and his men modeled for us, they displayed an unwavering, unwavering and consistent faith. Think about them. These guys experienced human trafficking. They were threatened with their very life. They were abused by power-hungry politicians. They were tempted to be unfaithful to their God. They were thrown into the furnace and into the lion's den for their allegiance to God. What kept them going? How did they persevere? Well, one factor is revealed in the stories. They were consistent in prayer and worship and scripture reading. As they relied on God's power, they pursued the basics of the faith. Back to the first three verses of the passage. Daniel has been prompted to pray. He's prompted really by two events. First, there's been a regime change. Verse 1 tells us that there's a new king in charge, King Darius. He represents the Medo-Persian Empire. If you remember, in Daniel chapter 5, the last Babylonian king, Belshazzar, was removed from office, announced by the writing on the wall. This marked the end of the Babylonian rule. So there was a preparing of the way for a possible liberation of the Hebrew people, and Daniel was realizing this. The second prompt to prayer for Daniel was the word of God. He had been reading the words of the prophet Jeremiah, and he noticed something. That the exile for God's people had an expiration date. There was a promised end point. According to Jeremiah, the exile would last 70 years. And Daniel's coming to the end of that time period. Jeremiah 29 is one place that it says about the 70-year time period. Let me read it to you. In Jeremiah 29, chapter 10 and 11, it says, This is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you to bring you back to this place. He's speaking of Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So Jeremiah prophesied that the Babylonian captivity would end after 70 years. Daniel is reading this and he's doing the math. He was taken to Babylon as a teenager, see chapter one, and he's been there almost 70 years. And now there's a new king in charge, a new empire who might show them favor and he sees God's plan unfolding before him. He thinks maybe 
we're about to go home. So what an encouragement Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 must have been for him when he heard those words. For I know the plans I have for you declares who? The Lord. We know this verse. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a... Did you know that the exile was the context for that verse? It's probably a familiar verse to you. You might have it as a screensaver on your computer or you might have a coffee mug or a koozie with it on there, or maybe a plaque on your wall, or maybe a chalkboard with that, or a refrigerator magnet. Anybody Jeremiah 29, 11 fans? We use it often to encourage one another. And the context of it is it's telling Israel that there's a hope for them to be rescued. After 70 years in exile, after seven decades under Babylonian rule of living in a godless culture, of being surrounded by idols and threatened with death for their allegiance to the God of Israel, being threatened to be thrown in the furnace or into the lion's den if they were to not bow to the Babylonian gods. And the Lord said, hey, you're not going to be here forever. I have plans you. I have a hope and a future. So I just want to remind you the importance of context when you're quoting scripture. So I want you from now on when you read Jeremiah 29 11 to read chapter 29 verse 10 as well. Will you commit? This isn't just a verse we put on a post-it note and stick in the lunch pail as we head off to cheer tryouts or to take the ACT. Or a verse just to write on a graduation card. By the way, all those are fine. Let's save the emails. It's a very appropriate verse to use, but I say don't use a post-it note. Use an eight and a half by 10 piece of paper and tell them this, dear Susie, as you try to hit your back handspring today, I want you to remember that the God of Israel who brought his people out of 70 years of exile, foreigners in a foreign land, who delivered them from the furnace and from the mouth of the lion, who kept his promise to them. He has a hope and a plan for you today, Susie. That God with that power who keeps those kinds of promises is watching over you. Do good, mom loves you. Go for it. Bring the context in. As Daniel's reading these words from the prophet Jeremiah, it went on to describe Israel's return to the Lord and to the land. He says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You're gonna come back to me. And we're actually gonna see the beginning of that process in today's prayer. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The Lord promised to bring the nation of Israel back from captivity, back from exile after 70 years. Can you imagine Daniel's excitement as he's reading this in his devotional time? Well, Daniel discerned the will of God by studying the word of God. The passage says that I, Daniel, understood from where? The scriptures. Do you want God to speak to you? That's one thing I hear from 
people I interact with quite often is, how do I know if God's speaking to me? Do you want God to guide you, to reveal his will to you, his truth to you? Then read and study his word. Follow Daniel's example. You know, I think the Lord speaks through a number of different ways. I think he speaks through his people. I think he speaks through the whispers of his Holy Spirit. I think he speaks through circumstances. But I think a primary way that he speaks is through the scriptures, which I believe are alive and active, illuminating and convicting. I believe that this book is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light to our path. And that it's inerrant and infallible and authoritative. I believe that the words in this book are God breathed and they're here to equip us for everyday life. So I want to invite you to be like Daniel, to follow his example and become a man or a woman of the book, a person who feeds on God's word daily. I want to implore you to become a student of the scriptures. Can I get really uber practical this morning? Yeah or no? I can skip it. Yes? All right. We're Fellowship Bible Church. It's on the sign. And one of our goals is to help you become intimate with your, creative God, your creator God through his spoken, written word. And so we believe that one of the keys to your soul care is to become a man or a woman of the book. And so I wanna give you a simple step. If you're not reading the Bible daily, I've put together a 31-day reading plan for you. 31 days, one month of verses. There's hard copies out at the table in the foyer where we sell books. There's also a guide available on the internet. Or if you don't have a Bible, I just bought a whole bunch of Bibles last week and I'd love to give you one. I'll even go this far. If you know someone in your office who doesn't have a Bible or in your neighborhood, take a Bible to them this week and stick one of those reading plans in it. I just think your life will be changed if you start reading the scriptures. Secondly, I wanna invite you to become a man or a woman of the book by studying it in the context of a small group. At our core fellowship, we are a church of small groups, whether that be a community group or a student ministry small group or a children's ministry small group or a men's small group or a women's small group. I wanna encourage you to come with us and open the book in the context of relationship and usually a casserole based on Velveeta cheese. Thirdly, at Fellowship, we have a whole segment of our ministry called the Training Center. And the Training Center exists to equip you for life and ministry. So we constantly are offering core training classes. There are some going on right now. Many of you are enrolled in those. Many of those classes are online catalog. You can take them at your own pace and from your own home. Become a man or a woman of the book and ask God to speak to you. Let me point out one special thing that the training center is about to sponsor for us. On April 14th, that's a Friday, and 15th, that's a Saturday, we've got Dr. Mark Yarbrough, the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, coming here, and he's gonna do a two-day deep dive to help you understand the whole of Scripture. So if you've ever thought, man, I'm interested in seminary, here's your day. We're gonna put you in a room with 150 other people, smaller context where you can study the Bible with a seminary prof. 
That's worth taking a vacation day for on that Friday. And so if you're interested in that, information online, grab the QR code and join us that day. Become a man or a woman of the book. So Daniel is prompted to pray, to go before the Lord. Let's take a look at the content of his prayer. Verse four, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Now, you might call Daniel's prayer a pro-con prayer. He's going to ping back and forth through professions of truth about the character of God and then confessions of sin committed by the people. Pro, con, professions and confessions. Verse four contains the first profession of truth about God. He's the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. Daniel begins his prayer by acknowledging God's greatness and his loving kindness. And I think it's good to begin prayer with a declaration of praise. Jesus modeled that for us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's declaring who God is before you get to your prayer content. Verse four has the profession. Verses five and six contain the confession of sin. He says, we have sinned and done wrong. It's plural. He's confessing the sin of the nation, the wickedness of their leaders, the rebellion of the people who did not listen to the prophets or obey the commands of the Lord. Let me frame confession for you really quickly. Confession is the simple and routine practice of admitting our mistakes, of taking responsibility for our disobedience. It's, it's looking in the mirror to fix the blame for our rebellious choices. And Daniel is admitting that he and his people had done wrong. His confession continues. Look at verse seven. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far and in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame. Lord, because we have sinned against you. Again, verse seven contains a pro-con opener. Then you issues both a profession, Lord, you are righteous, and then a confession of sin, we are covered with shame. You know, shame can be defined this way. It's this painful feeling that arises from becoming conscious of doing something dishonorable or sinful or improper. Shame is that icky feeling of conviction that wells up in you when you've committed a sin. And it's a proper response to recognizing our disobedience before God. Now, I think shame is a word that our current culture wants to cancel. It wants to eradicate shame, and I would absolutely agree when it comes to humiliating another human being. We all on the same page? 
We don't body shame others or shame others for their beliefs. We good? But here, I think, there's a sense of shame that's good that our culture has gotten away from. A sense of conviction. A sense of feeling the weight of our disobedience before God. I think shame is your inner world informing you that you're out of bounds. And Daniel says we are covered in shame. He is feeling the conviction for the disobedience of Israel. And look at those last five words of verse eight. It's the second time Daniel said it. Lord, we've sinned. He's admitting that there's widespread unfaithfulness among his people. The prayer continues with further detail about their rebellion. Look at verse nine. It says, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. There's the profession. Even though we have rebelled against him, there's the confession. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept his laws that he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. Again, Daniel is confessing the sin or the rebellion of Israel. Now you might ask, what did the Israelites do to warrant this exile to Babylon? Well, they abandoned God's law. They worshiped idols. They practiced sexual immorality. They ignored or killed his prophets. They compromised and rebelled. They and their leaders practiced evil even though they were God's chosen people living in the promised land. And verses 10 and 11 give us a cause and effect relationship. Daniel said, we have not obeyed, therefore we have experienced consequence. And it's the third time in this prayer of confession that he says, we have sinned against you, God. And therefore, God poured out his judgment, his wrath. He brought upon the Israelites what Daniel calls the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses. Now, what is that referring to there in verse 11, the sworn judgments of the law of Moses? Well, he continues to talk about it. Look at verses 12 to 14. He says, you have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. He said, Lord, you told us you were going to do this to us. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem, just as it is written in the law of Moses. All this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Summary statement, Lord, you told us you were gonna do it. You did it and we deserved it. Daniel is acknowledging that the consequences they have experienced, the Babylonian captivity, the exile, the destruction of Jerusalem were spoken to them before they ever sinned warned to them by the word of God, and then they were justified in their action. They were written in the law of Moses. God had clearly warned them. Now, if you want to do a really interesting study, then go to Deuteronomy chapters 28, 29, and 30. 
At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses stands before the people and they're about to go in the promised land. And he gives them the second reading of the law. Deutero, the second reading. And at the end of the law, he says, I have set before you today life and death. If you obey the law of the Lord, you will receive blessings. But if you disobey the law, you will receive what? Curses or consequences. And listen to what one of those consequences was. Deuteronomy 28, 49, and 50, it says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away. Babylon. From the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand. Aramaic. A fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. He goes on in verse 52. They will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. They will besiege all the cities throughout the land, like Jerusalem. He goes on to say, you'll be scattered among the nations. He told them, if you disobey, the Lord will allow your enemies to take you away. And Daniel is confessing his sin. He is accepting the consequence. Lord, we know why we are here. Now, this is pretty depressing so far, isn't it? I've taken every bit of energy that you got from the Razorbacks winning and sucked it right out of your soul this morning. In verse 15, he moves from confession and repentance to asking for forgiveness and restoration. Sinus infection break. Look at verse 15. He says, now, it's like I've said it so many times. We've sinned, I'm sorry, we deserve this. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, fourth time, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath. You see, repentance is a turning away. Confession is, is calling it like it is. Repentance is turning away from it and turning towards restoration. Turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn for all those around us. So for the fourth time, he says, Lord, we've sinned. And Lord, would you remove your wrath and your judgment and your anger from us? Lord, we deserve it but will you now please show your mercy? Daniel was moving from confession to restoration. He was asking for forgiveness and a reconciled relationship. And I want you to remember this if you don't hear anything else today, that confession of sin leads to restoration with God. That unconfessed sin is like baggage between you and your loving father. And when we admit our wrongdoing, when we come clean before the Lord, when we quit hiding and let him shine his light on the darkness of our heart, then there can be healing and restoration. Now, let me be clear. And he spoke about this in that last song. If you've placed your faith in Christ, the crucified Christ, the resurrected Christ, then you're forgiven, period. You with me? This speaks of your position in Christ, that you've been justified before him. Your sin credited to his account, his righteousness credited to your account. In the courtroom of heaven, you've been legally declared 
forgiven 100%, past, present, future, forever. Is that good news or what? But we still need to confess. Not to get forgiveness, but to get relationship. Parents, doesn't it feel good when your child comes to you and says, I did it? I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And by the way, that's a two-way street. Spouses, until somebody looks you in the eye and says, I did it, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It's the cold shoulder, isn't it? You see, confession and asking for forgiveness is the relational part of the transaction. And so confession of sin leads to restoration with God. We need to practice it on a routine basis. It's acknowledging what God's done on our behalf. And so that's what Daniel is doing here. He's confessing sin and now he's asking for God to turn away his wrath and his anger. Look at verse 17. He's gonna move on from restoration to petition where he's actually gonna ask God for something. Do you see the model of his prayer? He's acknowledging who God is. He's confessing his sin. He's asking for forgiveness. Then he goes for the ask. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servants. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. He's speaking of Jerusalem. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for the sake of my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Daniel boldly goes to the Lord and presents a big ask. He asks the Lord to open his ear, to listen, and then to remember Jerusalem, which lies in ruins, to send his people home to rebuild and restore. It was a big request. And I love that line. Lord, don't do it because we're so good and we deserve it. Do it because you're merciful. He prays with boldness and confidence. Why? Because he's praying God's will. It was God's will for them to go home and rebuild. You could summarize Daniel's prayer this way. He took a posture of prayer. He humbled himself before the Lord, the sackcloth and ashes, the fasting and repentance. And then he professed God's goodness and his greatness, repeatedly acknowledging who God was. And then he called it like it really was. Four times, Lord, we have sinned and done wrong. In confession, we're not looking to make excuses. We're owning our own disobedience. We're not fixing the blame anywhere but right in the mirror. And then he petitioned for God to act and he prayed God's will for his people. Hey, here's how I wanna close our time together. Let's don't just talk about prayer and confession. Let's take some time and we've got time to pray and confess. So don't grab your purses or your coat. Don't check your bracket. Humble yourself before the Lord with me right now. So assume a posture of prayer, whatever that looks like for you. And let's take the rest of our time together this morning. And we're gonna pass the communion elements. And let's just confess our sin. I'm gonna give you four 
opportunities to pray. Confess your personal sin, the sin of our nation. Um, Pray for needs globally and then pray for needs personally. So would you join me? Let's read this verse together from Psalm 51 before we declare our personal sin. Read this with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Take some time, confess personal sin before a holy God. forgive us for we have sinned. And now let's take some time and confess the sins of our nation. It's not a political prayer. Confess where our nation has gotten away from the word and the authority of the scripture and is promoting and engaging in rampant sin. Take some time and confess the sins of our nation. Forgive us, Lord, as a nation, for we have sinned. And now let's turn our attention to petition. And let's ask for something big for God, from God. And so let's focus that first on global prayer requests. Think of all that's happening in our world and Pick one or two things to focus on and ask the Lord to intervene. Spend some time praying for global needs.
Pick one of our global workers. Pray for them and their family. pray for the people of Ecuador who've experienced an earthquake. We still pray for the people of Ukraine who are at war. We ask you to have mercy. And now let's take this last time and pray for something personal to you. Maybe it's something for yourself. Maybe it's for a loved one. Maybe it's for someone you know who's sick or struggling or who doesn't know the Lord. Let's lift them up. Father, I pray that you would hear these petitions, these requests from your people. Lord, that you would listen, that you would hear and act. And I pray that you would show up big in the lives of those that we've prayed for. Lord, we pray even now for our Easter services that each of these seats that's empty would be full because we've invited people to hear about your resurrection. Oh, Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? And the communion elements will come and we'll take them together later.
upon a hill a perfect savior upon that day the greatest love the punishment that should have fallen on us was upon him upon him upon his head a crown of thorns upon his heart a broken world the wage of sin all the weight of our transgressions was upon him upon him so we can say that christ has died and we are forgiven in christ alive we are the risen and he shall come again praise the king praise the king upon our hearts his name is written the king of kings the lord of resist confession but I always feel good afterwards how about you confession of sin leads to restoration with God and he made a way for that to happen on the night he was betrayed Christ took bread and he broke it and he said this is my body given for you take eat remember and then he took the cup And he said, this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant, giving you access to reconciliation with God. Never forget, take and drink. There's one name upon our lips, Jesus. No greater name than this, Jesus, and every knee will bow, yes, every heart confess, Jesus, Jesus, one name upon our
with you, remembering Jesus. So as y'all go, be safe. Have a safe spring break. The Sloans will be in the prayer room over here if you need prayer. If not, we'll see you next week. Love you, fellowship.